It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. And if you have a question for me, go to clark.com slash ask. Coming up in just a few minutes, wow, we are suckers for brand names. Do I have funny proof for you in today's Clark Rage? And coming up later, for good or bad, our biometrics are going to be what takes the place of us proving we are who we say we are. I want to tell you how it's being used already in one part of the United States. And why is it important that we be able to prove who we say we are? Well, unfortunately, you may have heard that Marriott has had the second worst data breach in the history of the modern era, only trailing the severity of the data breach that hit Equifax a year year and a few months ago. The Marriott breach is something that represents such a risk to you on so many levels, it's stunning. Now, Marriott owns many different brands, and this is all the properties that are under the Starwood umbrella, which would be things like Weston and um, Sheridan and any of a number of others. We have a list for you at clark.com and over apparently a four-year period criminals were able to just sit there and patiently get the personal information of every single individual booking a reservation at any of these properties so they have your name your physical mailing address your phone number your email address Sometimes your credit card number, they don't really know how many times your credit card number, and they have your passport number if your travel involved anything international that involved your passport. Uh, Marriott has already put out a warning. Uh, By the way, I should tell you the number of people. 500 million. There's only 320-something million of us in the whole United States. So don't know how much of this is double-counting people who've booked multiple reservations, and how much is, because this is a worldwide issue, how much it involves that. But think about the layers of data that the criminals have. Having your name, physical address, phone number, email address, just all that alone means that criminals have a lot of what they need to be able to pretext to you to uh, one of the pretextings Marriott's already warning about is getting fake emails pretending to be from Marriott about the breach and then trying to get you to reveal personal information. Marriott has said they want you to pay if you are a Marriott frequent stay person who was in the uh, SPG program, the prior Starwood program, or the Merge Marriott program, Watch your balances closely, because one of the risks here is that a criminal will steal, if you are a frequent traveler, steal your free stay points and redeem them for any of a number of things you can redeem for and have your points wiped out. You may receive 
fake emails from who knows how many different sources. Could be fake mail coming to your house and pretext phone calls. Phone, phone calls pretending to be from who knows who because the criminals know so much stuff about you. So in terms of the number of people they have passport numbers on, 327 million <laughs> out of the 500 million people total. So, I mean, imagine all the mischief that can happen, somebody having your passport. So this is really, really an unfriendly breach as far as credit card numbers. As I alluded to earlier, Marriott has no idea how many of the 500 million people's credit card numbers have been compromised. So this is a real vulnerability for you. And I want to talk about some of the things that you should do with the layers of risk that are involved. First, two-factor authentication. On accounts that you have that involve your finances, if you have not already gone to a second layer of protection, I want you to do that. Now, remember, they have your phone number, which often for business travelers will be your cell phone number. Normally, you use your cell phone number for two-factor authentication. What I'm recommending in this case, use a different email address for your two-factor notification rather than your cell phone number and make sure it's not the same email address that you historically have used for Marriott. If you want to set up a new secure email address other than what you already have, go to protonmail.com, which is a very secure free email service. In addition, you should very strongly consider, if you've not done so yet, freezing your credit because the greatest risk with the level of information the criminals have is they are going to attempt to take over your identity and use that as a way to buy services as if they're you or obtain credit as if they're you. And credit freeze is kind of like the all-weather answer for any form of security risk to your information. The change, though, as of two months ago, Credit freeze is now free. And I've got at Clark.com step-by-step how to freeze your credit with each of the three credit bureaus under the free regime. More details will obviously come out over the next few weeks, but they will not be covered like the initial information. When more information becomes available that you're going to need to know, I'll make sure that I bring you up to date both at Clark.com and in our newsletters as well as, when necessary, an update for you here on the air. Ron is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ron. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Ron. How can I serve you today? Well, I'm in a situation where my daughter is now a senior in high school and shopping for a college. And uh, she's done some research, but the fact remains is that I've done most of the research for her, and that may have been a mistake, but I feel that this is a major decision, a very big decision for a 17 or 18-year-old, and I honestly don't feel my daughter and many other people age 17 or 18 are ready and, and qualified to make such a decision well, 
And so I'm doing my, my part to help her make that decision. And I'm trying to get her involved in the process. It's a little bit challenging. Uh, she knows that she, what she wants to major in. She has just a very vague sense of what kind of a college to look for, but I'm trying to help her to, to get a better uh, sense of what college is right for her. And It's ironic you're bringing this yeah. up, because let me tell you something. I just had this conversation with a friend not more than an hour and a half ago, and right. we were talking about his son, who's a high school senior. And his son had his heart set on a school that was um, $220,000 for four years, fifty-five grand a year. That's without housing. And the son felt this was the best school for what he wanted to study, which was um, TV and film. And his dad impressed upon him that that would be a terrible decision because the son was going to have to borrow the money because dad doesn't have $220,000 lying around. And the state school that his son could go to and do film and TV over four years was $30,000 total. So I don't know how much money fits in this that you're trying to help her or how much it is you just trying to guide her to what you think is a better choice for her. Right. Well, my thoughts are that 30000 a year is plenty for a great education, and so that's roughly my limit, and considering that I'm paying the entire bill. So I've kind of picked out several colleges and helping her to narrow them down, and it's kind of down to where we're really focusing on two at this point. And she's looking at the one, and I'm looking at the other. And the one I'm looking at, I think it's a better fit for her, but she's kind of looking at the other one that she feels is going to be better recognized nationally. And it's a kind of a more appealing hip kind of an urban setting that she is enticed to. So what's the tuition difference between the two? They are almost identical. Just a couple hundred dollars different. I know this is going to sound crazy, uh, but I'm a dad of a child who's in college as a freshman right now. And I think that if the tuitions are similar it's it's all a guess anyway, and a kid can, as many do, can transfer if the first school turns out to be the wrong one. If the schools are equivalent in cost, let her make that decision. Go visit both of them and try not to uh, be overbearing. Just let her decide. And if she picked wrong, then uh, she can transfer to that other school or somewhere else. Okay, so you don't feel that the fact that I'm paying the bills makes much difference there? We should still let the student make the final call? Yeah, if you're paying and they're equivalent costs, I think let her decide. Because she's the one who's going to be in the weeds in school every single day. Right. You know, having to make friends, uh, find her way, uh, do the coursework and all the rest. So... I think you've set down the parameters about what you can afford to pay and what uh, what her uh, what her boundaries are, and so having her choose among two schools, between two schools, and let her make that call, I would do it. I'd let her do that. Rajan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you today? Hello, Clark. How you doing? Great. Did I get anywhere close to how to pronounce your name? 
Yeah, I mean, usually a lot of people usually kind of butcher it, but you do. They're good. Oh, good. Well, how can I help you? <laughs> yes, sir. First of all, I just want to say thank you, you know, for your service. I know you were in the, you were in the military and the Navy, and I, I want to thank you for that. And also... No, it's my terrible. brother. My brother was a naval officer. I'm in the State Guard. 17 oh, years a as a State Guardsman. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but thank you for that. Uh, thank you for your service. Certainly. Um, the question that I have is like pretty much like it's a two-part question, really. It's um, I, I'm a small. Uh, I just started a small one trucking company. Um, that I started. I've been driving you know, for about four years now, and then uh, I just decided to go, you know, with the logistics side of it, try to get my own company set up and start going and stuff like that. Um, I had a. a, a I have a business account, which is like a checking business account that I have, but I'm looking to put some money away for the business to start saving because it's struggling, and, you know, just I just want to save as much money just in case something happens and I money to cover sure. my, uh, you know, my truck. It's very so, smart. It's very smart. Yeah. So in the meantime, I'm trying to find to see if I could find the best saving business account where they don't come with any, any of the, them high-end fees and all right. So you, this is a this is a, a business you own as a sole proprietor. Yes, sir. So then, what I would do is I would open an online savings account that you just fund and put the money into from the business. And okay. with many of them, you'll need to own it personally. Others, you'll be able to own it for your business. But okay. the interest rates on plain simple savings accounts that you can transfer the money out as you need are now paying as much as uh, about 2.35%, and a lot of them paying two and a quarter percent. And those rates are going to go up this year. Okay. So that would get you so much more than you're going to get with any account that in any way is a business account where their banks never want to pay you anything. If you go to bankrate.com and click on savings rates and money market accounts, you'll see the best deals available in the country right now. And uh, that will help you find a way to stash cash that's there for the unexpected with your business and have it earn something for you. Hopefully that rainy day doesn't come, though. Today's Clark Rageous moment is such an important thing about the way we perceive value. You know, it's clear from testing over the years and surveys that When something's more expensive, we automatically think it's better. Listen to how our minds play tricks on us in today's Clark Rageous moment. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. So, you know, this time of year, there are so many pop-up stores. And you may have heard of the one called Palessi. Palessi was a high-end shoe store, and they did pop-ups that happen all through November, December, where a store rents, a company rents a vacant storefront, and they decorate it, they do temporary displays, and hope to sell a lot of merchandise leading up to Christmas. Well, Palessi set up one in Los Angeles and invited a lot of what are known as influencers, a lot of people who have big social media followers and had them come and give their reactions to the merchandise at the boutique shoe store. And they had 80 influencers that showed up, those invited, 
and they were just so excited. People were buying hundreds and hundreds of dollars of shoes. Uh, one person bought a $640 pair of boots, and on and on and on. Another woman said this: these uh, kicks that she was looking at, these sneakers, looked like they were four or $500 sneakers. And guess what? The whole thing was a ruse. They were all shoes from Payless. And they were all ultra inexpensive shoes. But put on display in this boutique environment at these very high prices, people perceive them to be worth so much more. Beware and be wary. High price does not necessarily equal quality. Sometimes it might, but often we allow the price to play tricks on our brain. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. I want to tell you about a deal right now. Black Friday week, the hottest deal was Target had a 55-inch TV, 4K TV for $199. And uh, lucky few people got that. There's been nothing that cheap before or since. But today, Walmart has a 55-inch 4K for $229. Not as cheap as the $199, but $229 for a 55-inch 4K is a very good price. We have a direct link to it at ClarkDeals.com if you have trouble finding it at Walmart.com. It comes with free shipping or you can pick it up free at a Walmart store. So I want to talk to you about something that is one of those areas that some people don't really think about, other people are really creeped out about. But I'm a member of something called CLEAR. And also another thing called global entry. I travel, I fly somewhere roughly two out of every three weeks. And so these programs both use biometrics and make it so much easier for me to be able to to fly without having to stand in normal lines. If I go to clear, I go to a terminal and it reads either my fingerprints or my eyeballs. And then I go straight through the belt to put my bags on at security. No normal lines, no showing driver's license, anything like that. And then Global Entry does a scan of my hand. And then when it validates that I am who I say I am and it looks at my biometrics of my face as well, I then bypass immigration coming back in the United States. And this sort of thing is going to become a common part of our lives. Well, Delta Airlines is the furthest along of U.S. airlines with this kind of technology and has just implemented what's being referred to as a biometric terminal at Delta's largest operation, which is Atlanta. And the way the Delta thing works is you go into, there's only for international passengers, not ready to do it for domestic yet, but it will be before too long, you go to a a check-in terminal that scans your face, full facial recognition, and then matching up with the database from your U.S. passport or foreign passport matches you up and creates a comprehensive digital image of your face 
and then everywhere else along the process, instead of showing any ID or boarding pass or anything like that, everything is done all the way through the process from going through security to checking in, going through security, checking your bag, walking on the plane, everything is done based on biometrics. And I have seen this in use in other countries. And in other countries, airlines are far enough along that for domestic flights, you don't go to a gate agent to go on a flight. You go to a screen that recognizes who you are and these electronic gates open and you walk through to the jetway without ever interacting with a human. And in the case of Delta, with the biometrics they're doing, the time to board a plane is reduced by almost 10 minutes because people are able to get on the plane quicker, the plane can get underway faster, and so the airline benefits and you get out of line. So this will be something that will be common throughout air travel, throughout the United States, Probably in the next three years, it will be a widely adopted practice. Now, with this, there's always the freak out. For example, there's a lot of fear right now, and this is something that I shared with you last year at the Consumer Electronics Show at CES, where criminals, hackers are now able to defeat your fingerprints and hack into fingerprints and pretend to be you. And that's why you're going to see more and more systems adopt what Delta's doing, which is the full facial recognition scan, which becomes a much harder thing for hackers to mess with. Alexandra is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Alexandra. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you, Alexandra. And congratulations are in order for you. Is that true? That is correct. Thank you very much. Sure. Tell me what your story is. Um, well, I actually reached out to you about two years ago, and I finished paying off my student loans. And in the last two years, uh, my boyfriend and I got became more serious, and he proposed recently. Um, so it's very exciting for us both. Did you ask and, him his credit score first yeah. before you'd say yes? I'm sorry, say that one more time. Did you ask him his credit score first before you'd say yes? Oh, well, I kind of already knew, so I knew I was <laughs> Sorry, that was just, a, that was terrible of me to say, yes. <laughs> Very difficult. Um, but we are young professionals, both uh, at the very beginning of our career, and we do plan on paying for our own wedding. But, you know, the wedding industry is obviously skyrocketing, which is upcharging for, to me, unnecessary items, um, but we also, you know, it's only one day, so we mainly want to focus on our life after the wedding. So I was just hoping to get some ideas about what we can do to better put ourselves in a better position, you know, after the wedding and you know, purchasing a house and, you know, everything after, everything afterwards. <laughs> so are you doing a traditional church wedding or something like that? Or are you getting married uh, in a uh, hotel or event facility, how exactly are you handling the wedding? We're most likely going to do something at an event facility. Um, right, you know, we're at the very beginning stage of still looking, so it is very much up in the air. 
but we're looking, we're leaning more towards an event facility. Right. As you will find out as you navigate through this process, anytime you say the word wedding versus any other kind of party, you almost add a zero to the end of the cost of everything. Absolutely. That's why I was asking if you were going to do something like a, a traditional wedding in a religious facility and then have a, a wedding a reception somewhere else, because a lot of people are saving money by just booking a party instead of booking a wedding party. Right. And I've, you know, I've pitched that idea to him because we're, neither one of us are very religious. So wherever we're going to get married, it's going to be the same area we're going to do the reception as well, mainly just to cut back on cost of you finding travel for everyone in the wedding party. Okay. Um, All right. So have you been reading the various blogs? There are so many blogs and books about how to save on the cost of making the arrangements for the wedding reception. I have. I've been doing my due diligence and really looking into it and diving into it. I'm sure it probably uh, is slightly annoying to him because I'll, I'll always find a new blog every day, but I'm just trying to make sure we get the most bang for our buck. Have the two of you come to an understanding about what the budget should be? Yes, we have. And you're both happy with that number? We are, and I am the youngest um, of my family, and so is he, so we also will have help from our parents but for the most part we did want to do you know a lot of a lot of the payment just coming from us okay all right well how can i be of help because it sounds like you're doing everything right to this point about setting the budget and methodically doing the planning and looking for tips from others on the blogs well that reassurance is you know great to hear um really just i know your daughter got married not too long ago and coming from the, I guess, the bride side of the family. If there is any tips from just your listeners or from yourself of whether if we should put our money into a traditional IRA or if we should try to do some kind of, we even though we put on saving ourselves, we also thought about taking out a loan since we'll have no credit card debt, no student loan debt, um, to our names, we'll still be paying our own bills, but just to help with our credit as well. So, as do know, you both what, have credit cards? We do. So, if you have credit cards, there's no need for you to take out any loan to help your credit standing. The credit cards okay. are doing that for you. Do either of you have your credit frozen right now? You know, I think we're looking into that, but we have not done that yet. Before you do it, there are some steps I'd like you to do before you get around to a credit freeze. I want you to set up at Credit Karma and Credit Sesame, where you can track both what's going on with your credit, see what your approximation of your scores are, and get tips on how to raise those scores over time. Okay. And is an ultimate goal for the two of you to buy a home together? That is true. That's correct. And have you discussed how each of you are going to be responsible for, you're going to be responsible for a share of the down payment? Are you going to pool your paychecks? Have you talked no. through any of that? We have not talked about that. Um, I think we've both kind of been on cloud nine with the whole engagement 
I, then I don't want to. I don't want to rain any <laughs> on that parade. I apologize for even asking that. No, no, no. That's that's reality after the wedding because right. you know we would like to get a house, uh, maybe not in our current location, but eventually. So I think that's you know a great conversation for us to have. So here's how I would handle that conversation. I would like for you to have a joint savings account that once the two of you have established. Uh, that you want to have a house in so many years, that you agree that each of you are going to automatically deposit from your paychecks into that house down payment account a certain amount every month. Okay. And that, because you've got the goal there, you have the discipline, and you put the money in. Now, do either of you work at, at the jobs you have? Do either of you have 401ks? We both do. And are you both contributing to those a meaningful amount? I am. I would have to ask him, um, but I, I know he is trying to do that. I think, you know, with buying the ring, he was not doing it as diligently. But I well, think as gently be. as you can nudge him, <laughs> and only okay. a nudge, uh, that he should at least be putting in there up to what his employer matches. Right. And then I'd like him to step it up 1% every six months. 1% every six months, okay. And whatever you're doing, I'd like you to step it up 1% every six months. Okay, I can do that as well. So, uh, you know, the couples have, you mentioned the whole thing about the excitement about the engagement and the process of planning the wedding and all that. It is normal that couples push off or never get around to talking about money because it's mm-hmm. not romantic and it can generate tension in a relationship. So never have it as one conversation. Don't wait till something boils up to have that conversation. Have it as an ongoing thing and always do it in terms of goals. Right. Okay. When you do it in terms of goals, it's not threatening. And it's about how do we achieve this goal and when do we want to achieve the goal? And then it creates a much more collaborative conversation than a flashpoint about you spent this for that. You know, or whatever the flashpoint is, that the conversation comes up out of um, an incident or disagreement. That if you stay goal focused and communicating, you avoid that. So that's the best premarital financial advice I have for you, Alexandra. And I wish both of you the best. And uh, be careful with the wedding contracts you're going to be asked to sign along the way. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Alfredo is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Alfredo. How are you today? 
I'm great, Clark. How are you doing? Great, thank you. You have a question for me about a company that no one ever used to ask me about, but more recently they've been in the news, and that's TIA, T-I-A-A, for your, I assume, your retirement account? Yes, it would be my 403B that I have with them, actually. And how can I help with that plan? So I embarked on, on a journey to try to discover how they actually charge us fees, Given, say, I, I go read, I have a certain expense ratio for an index fund. I want to know when and how they actually pull that money from my account. I haven't been able to find like an actual to find an actual dollar amount associated to any of those expense ratios. So I I thought you were the one who could help me solve this this problem. Yeah, and it's something that has uh, put Tia under the spotlight because they now charge fees that are higher or lower depending on the size of the plan often that you're part of. So if the plan that you're in is a really large plan, odds are you're paying lower fees. If it's a smaller plan for your 403B, then your fees are likely to be higher. And they don't make it easy for you to figure out. But I wanted to give you a place you can go online to try to figure out what you're actually paying in fees on your TIA plan. That would be great. Um, there's a website you can go to, 403bcompare.com. Okay. And so if you go there, they do as best they can to make it as clear as they can. And as a general rule, TIA's fees, particularly on their index fund choices, are very, very low. But when you look at um, some of the other expenses, they can be higher. But the typical fund with TIAA is going to have expenses that are well within the range that I'm looking for, which is under half a, half a point. Oh, yeah. And actually, I, I hear your show quite a bit, so I, I made sure that I sign up for those and so you're, you know the actual funds you're paying lower fees. It's just the overall cost that they're not making clear to you. Exactly, yes. And does your um, TIA 403B come through an employer or a union? Correct. It's through the employer. Through the employer. And there's not an administrator's number you can call that they'll disclose the plan fees I to you? Actually, I could probably um, reach out to them, but I went directly to TIAA to ask them, and they told me that whenever you purchase, you set the, the purchase for the, for the index fund, uh, the fees are just merged into that purchase. That's, that was my impression. So that's not that really an answer to what you want to know, which is what total fees you're paying. Exactly, yes. Yeah, and so that goes back to the thing where TIA has lost some faith and trust from people who have accounts with them because they aren't forthcoming anymore. And that's why I would go to the plan administrator and say, what am I actually paying all in? And they should tell you because they have a responsibility and duty to you to disclose that to you at your employer. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.